Welcome to Conversations with Orbita, a podcast dedicated to helping healthcare and life science organizations reimagine the patient journey with conversational AI. This is where automation meets empathy. Hi, everybody. This is Nate Trelor, president and co-founder of Orbita, and this is episode one of Conversations with Orbita. I'm joined by Christy Ebong. Say hi, Christy. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. <laughs> Christy is our uh, Senior VP of Corporate Strategy and a thought leader in healthcare, a thought leader in uh, conversational AI, and we're going to have a conversation about it. The theme of this episode is really simply on our personal stories, what got us into the space, what we have learned about deploying voice bots, chatbots, conversational AI solutions in healthcare, and the earliest stories of what inspired us to take this step into this niche domain. And uh, Christy, I have some stories. I know you do as well. Would you like me to start with my favorite story, the one I tell all the time? I would love to. I, it doesn't get old for me, so I'd love to hear it. Okay. I'm not sure you'll remember this one, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway. Well, like a lot of people in the earliest days of, and it seems like a decade ago or more, but it really was just a few years back, when Amazon came out with the Amazon Echo device, I looked at it, my colleagues looked at it, and we thought there's something here in this device in terms of its ability to assist uh, individuals being cared for at home. And for me, the personal connection was my parent to uh, octogenarians. Um, at the time, my, my mother was still alive and, and she was struggling with mobility issues and other health issues, but living at home with my dad and the condo that we set up for him, they, uh, they needed a lot of help, a lot of care. And I had this idea, I said, well, I can set them up with an Amazon Echo so that they can at least get access to information. And then with some of the features of the Echo, they maybe even be able to message their care team, effectively my sisters and I. And uh, so I took it over to them thinking, these, my parents can't even use, they can barely use the touch phone, let alone a smartphone. They didn't own smartphones at all. And I thought, well, at least we'll get a sense for whether this new fancy device is something they can use. So I gave it to them and I uh, uh, said, I'll check in with you in a few days. I came back in a few days and found that they were using it a lot. And to me, it really said, there's something here for this audience, this community, this demographic uh, that my parents represent, if they can embrace this particular interface voice, then uh, it has potential. And uh, it drove me to take it back, the idea back to the team. And at the same time, my colleague, uh, Bill Rogers, the CEO, was doing a similar experience with his uh, mother-in-law. And uh, we had a bit of an epiphany. That was really the earliest point in time when we thought we want to do some work in this space. How did it come to you, Christy? That's just, I mean, that's remarkable. I'm, my heart is warm by that story and I hadn't heard that story before. It's resonant level. So I actually, I still have two grandfathers. They're both nonagenarians. One's 90, the other's 92. The 92 year old is a retired physician who won't go near technology. Um, but he does do voice technology. And the 90-year-old loves tech. He'll call me when his iCloud's not syncing across all his devices and he's frustrated in the troubleshooting process. So I think as someone who has been in emerging technology within the industry, within healthcare, my entire career, what is really revolutionary now with what we're seeing is that the ability to 
meet people where they are in their regular lives through what we call omni-channel experiences is so powerful, especially when you think about some of the greatest consumers of healthcare and those folks that have the greatest need are aging populations, right? They're folks that may be less digitally resourced um, or maybe less digitally literate. They, they just haven't had the exposure to, to those technologies. And so the ability to channel frustrations from trying to implement digital technologies of the last 10, 15 years in particular in a way that is now so much more natural, so much more seamless and, and really engaging is, is exciting for a lot of reasons first and foremost, and that it can really truly help people. And so I think, you know, I've, I, I started my career in the EHR industry working for Epic Systems. And so we learned a lot about what to do. We learned a lot about what not to do. I mean, there were physicians that would, would retire because they didn't want to adopt the new computer system. And so I think this ability to use natural language, whether that be through a spoken modality or a written chat modality, is, is really powerful. And I've seen that play out across across many different avenues in my life. I think you ask about a personal narrative. A, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm actually hearing impaired. I've been hearing impaired since I was four years old. And so, you know, when I watch, watch a movie or watch a show, I always like to have the closed captioning on. Um, and I can hear okay without my hearing aids, but it helps, right? And And, and I think that for me, the recognition and understanding of that, especially having grown up with that experience my whole life, being able to overcome some of those access limitations is always front and center because it, it, it affects everything that I do. And so I'm really inspired by the ability to bring this type of flexible tech to a lot of, of a different types of folks and maybe some of those that we haven't been able to reach effectively previously. Yeah, and what's interesting is that you know, the story that I told and uh, your experience around accessibility, we talk a bit about voice and voice-assistive technology, but um, this podcast is really about conversational AI, which is a much broader category. And people are familiar with chatbots, right? A chatbot is intended to be a very natural a conversational interface, a digital interface that you can interact with that has ideally has empathy and sort of a human feeling. You know it's a robot, but uh, you want to be able to interact with it to get uh, in a way that's more natural and intuitive. And if you add a voice layer on top of that, like the experience with my parents, it just adds another level. It adds an accessibility level. But what's interesting about our little business is that we've kind of backed into it. We do a lot of chatbots here at Orbita. But our emphasis is really that, like you said, Christy, how do we reach the individuals where they are, the patients where they are? If they have an accessibility requirement, um, voice is a great option. The other story that is probably the one you thought I was going to say is related to my parents' neighbor, Arthur, who at the time when I um, was with him the first time around, he was 84 years old. This is probably three years ago now. Arthur is blind and he lives at home with his wife, who um, is also mobility challenged now. But he's quite a technical uh, octogenarian. He has iPhone, he's able to use Apple Siri, um, and he knows his way around technology in a, a way that kind of challenges the, the expectations of somebody who's 84. Um, he wasn't really aware of Amazon, Amazon Echo. So just like he did with my parents, I took an Echo over to his house and I said, Arthur, I'm just going to put this here. I'm going to set it up for you. Hooked it up to my Amazon account. That was a bit of a mistake. I'll tell you why in a second. 
I set him up with it and I said, I'm going to come back in a week and just see how it goes. I came back in a week after discovering that he made a purchase on my Amazon account using his voice. I think he bought, bought some coffee, which I was happy for him <laughs> to, to buy. You know, it was a gift. Um, but yeah, so I gave him the gift of coffee and he gave me the gift of insight because I asked him, I said, Arthur, how, how did it go? And he said, Nate, this thing has changed my life. And, uh, you know, I was expecting him to say, yeah, it's interesting, but I didn't realize the strength of, uh, the, I wasn't expecting the strength of his response. And I said, oh, you know, tell me how. And he says, you have to understand, I'm, I'm blind. And even though I can use uh, Apple Siri on my phone, I have to generally know where my phone is. Uh, with this always on, always listening device, I can ask it the weather so I can know what to put on when I go out for a walk with my seeing eye dog. I can find out you know, who won the football game last night. And even though they're not really medically related, they are uh, health related. It's his mental health for him. He was empowered. And uh, it really was very important to him and important to his well-being. So to this day, it's been three years, he's, he now has two Amazon, maybe three Amazon Echoes, a Google Home device. Uh, he uses them every day. And I'm um, sad to say that his wife is at home with him, but she receives like six hours of in-house in care every day. She uses it as well. So um, it was, a, you know, for me, that accessibility story is still strong, still resonant. But like we said, you know, we're really thinking, how do we create engagement for and support for patients like Arthur, like my parents, or other types of people who may be able to use their smartphone, but would rather use a touch interface or a chatbot, right? It's amazing. You know, if we think back to, it wasn't that long ago when we would try to force users into a specific device or a specific piece of hardware and adoption may or may not have happened, right? And so I think about, you know, now with COVID, we're hearing stories of folks basically using conversational AI technology to connect with loved ones in isolation. So I saw a story recently about a woman who was sitting outside her mother's window. Her mother was in a long-term care facility and she was communicating with her uh, over a smart speaker. And so they could see each other through the window, um, but they were communicating that way. A, a, a smartphone would have been too difficult for her to you know, make a phone call or, or answer um, her mother. But the ability to stay connected in a personal way that also has you know, medical and health benefits is so important. And I think what's so important about that is, is another theme that we've seen recently, which is this blending between our personal and professional lives and, and the not having to not having to choose a different device or a different modality for our work lives and our and our personal lives. And so through that, if we're able to truly connect with folks, that's where that's where the real magic happens. I think, you know, we, we talk all the time, there's incredible statistics about loneliness and isolation and all of us are feeling that right now but i think more critical than ever is when we think about what's the baseline to overcome that we need to be able to communicate and connect and if we can't do it in person we need to do it with whatever is most comfortable and closest to us because proximity is a very real thing and even you look at this nurse that was taking care of patients covid patients that were in isolation and infection rooms and what was nearest for her, her proximity was actually a baby monitor, mm. an old school audio first, audio only analog baby monitor. And so that's remarkable. 
Yeah, it's really how do you make the connection? One of the use cases that has come up in the COVID era is being able to connect patients in the hospital room with their loved ones at home who, for reasons of infection control, can't come and visit them. And the ability for um, technology to solve that problem is, um, well, first of all, it is definitely possible now, and it's been possible for a while, but what people are realizing is that these consumer devices, consumer technology, uh, may be the fastest path to enabling those type of communications. You know, there is a precedence for that type of experience being deployed. So hospitals are putting in Amazon Alexa devices that allow for what's called this drop-in, where um, family members can drop in on their loved one or vice versa and uh, at least make a connection. We see plenty of other consumer devices that can do the same thing. One of the phrases that we use a lot when we're talking about virtual assistants in healthcare, chatbots, voice bots, is uh, automation with empathy. And I love that phrase because on the one hand, it's clearly realistic about what chatbots are. They are really an attempt to automate you know, a, a workflow, right? Whether it's helping the patient get access to information or doing an assessment, maybe a, a survey, the idea is to create a, uh, an experience that automates a workflow, right? And you can automate those kind of workflows in lots of different ways. You could help them fill out a form on a website. You could have them make a phone call and answer a robotic voice assistant. But um, ultimate goal is to automate a workflow. And uh, that's the realistic purpose. The, the value proposition is that these auto automatons are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're always there. They have no ego, which actually we can come back to. That's actually a real value proposition of these bots. But it's also the idea of building empathy is what makes conversational uh, user experiences, I think, different than traditional digital experiences. Empathy doesn't mean that the bot has to say, oh, I'm so sorry that you're struggling. But if it has some aspect of a, a human-like experience, uh, the realistic or the real uh, result is it's going to increase engagement. This is proven, right? An example of my parents, right? Uh, um, the user interface of a bot is better for them than a user interface of a form on a website. Full stop. So automation with empathy. You subscribe to that idea there, Christy? I love the idea and I love it for many reasons. I think it's something that as a society we're clearly struggling with, right? I mean, we're more divided than we've ever been. It's maybe the most important thing when someone's hurting or suffering, um, which is anytime anyone's in ill health, that suffering and that pain requires so much empathy. I'm even thinking, you know, for me, a, re a recent personal experience this fall, uh, just a couple, two months ago today, actually, my brother was helping out his wife's family on a farm in Western Wisconsin. They were combining soybeans and long story short, they had a farming accident, a tractor accident. Um, he is alive, uh, amazingly and gratefully, and, but his injuries have been extensive. And so the, the uncertainty and the fear that we all felt going through this the last couple of months with him is has been extraordinary and so every interaction that we have with his care teams recognizing that role that empathy plays and not just in face-to-face -face interactions but with the automation 
you know, and a lot of times when as caregivers, we are called to action after hours. So, you know, you work a full day, you're trying to make phone calls with providers and, and to medical records during the day. And then after hours is when you reconnect with family members, you talk, you share notes, you come up with plans. And that's when you also, oh, we want to schedule with this, you know, facial reconstruction surgeon. We want to get on the radar of this um, orthopedic surgeon. And having that ability to continue to access care, but around the clock, but to do it under an empathetic context, because we're so vulnerable. All of us, whether we admit it or not, we're all so vulnerable. And I think 2020 has been so humbling with that. And so I think about this experience and the just the luck that we've had, but really also there's so much intention behind the empathy. And so as we continue to automate areas that have a direct benefit for automation and also to free up that time. So when we do have those face-to-face and direct connections, that that time is allowed to be meaningful. And those connections are made even stronger because you're not stuck doing mundane tasks or telling your story all over again. Yeah, I think um, this, I'm glad your uh, brother is on the mend. I remember that was a pretty horrific accident, so I'm happy to hear he's recovering. It made me think of a, another story when uh, we were first starting out here at Orbita. We had the opportunity to set up a number of patients in their homes with virtual assistants that were. Um, experiments really to help patients, individuals with pretty serious health conditions, uh, quadriplegics, um, paraplegics, uh, cerebral palsy, often what's called dual eligibles. That meant that they were low income, Medicare and Medicaid. And uh, I had a chance, and in fact, I specifically wanted to have the opportunity to go and physically install the devices in the individual's homes. And so I got to do that a few times. And the experience was really pretty illuminating for me, not uh, for the same reasons it was illuminating when I set my parents up with the uh, devices for their use. The one that really sticks in my mind was a young woman who was uh, quadriplegic to the point where she couldn't breathe on her own. She needed a respirator. And she had, um, I remember she had basically a speaker that was mounted around her neck that amplified her voice because she needed the amplification with her machine-assisted lungs. So uh, we're setting her up with an Amazon Echo type of experience. And uh, in order to speak it, she had to speak through the speaker and have it go into the microphones of the device. And the uh, first thing she did was she called her mom. So we set up so she could say basically to the device, call mom, and it would initiate the phone call. As another example of something that seems so simple um, and that's nothing to do with really empathy per se, but of this experience. But the fact that it was able to connect this young woman with her mom, just by the woman saying, call mom, she started crying. I knew everybody in the room was crying when that happened. It was really touching. And just the power of a, what seems like a pretty simple technology right now um, to create a, a personal experience for a young woman who uh, clearly would drive some benefit from it. It was a really powerful experience. I'll never forget that. And I was lucky enough to have that happen, that kind of thing happen three or four times. Uh, it certainly gave me a motivation for this work. That's extraordinary. You know, I picked out a theme from your story and that theme on personalization is an interesting one because I think oftentimes those of us working in the healthcare industry, we think about personalization as we need to have all this very complex clinical data in order to tailor an experience to someone. But the reality is 
you had a personal experience with someone through basic information. It was someone in her contacts, right, of her phone. And so when you think about the power of this type of technology, what is really different than what we've seen before is the ability to do what's what we call turn by turn communication, where I can give information about myself and that automation adapts to me. And so the system doesn't necessarily need to know me and my existing conditions and in my medical history. It can ask me questions and I can offer up information that creates a personalized experience without requiring a ton of complexity. And so what's what's really heartwarming about your story is that it marries up this personal world with this you know clinical and, and professional healthcare oriented need, this medical need. And we forget that. We forget that all the time. We forget that people are people and they don't identify as patients. And so to have that that seamlessness, and we reuse the word all the time, but seamlessness is powerful, right? Because it changes the experience, it changes the way information flows, and it ultimately it it affects us. We get what we need. And sometimes getting what we need can be so difficult when it comes to yeah. care. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about what empathy looks like in a bot, because I think this is something that, you know, when it comes down to it, there is, you know, there's technology that's involved, right? Somebody's got to design and develop these experiences. And we've had to do and, and have been doing this for a while now at Orbita. Um, and what we've learned is designing and implementing these conversational experiences, it's somewhere between an art and a science, right? The science part is, do you have the right speech recognition technology in the case of a voice application? Are you able to translate what a user has typed into the input field into an understanding of what their intent is? Um, that's the technology. The art part is, what does the bot say back to draw out from the user the information that the user is trying to convey uh, or that it is trying to extract from the user. So uh, a good example that I like to use is we did a project for rheumatoid arthritis. And in a, an assessment for a rheumatoid arthritis, there's a bunch of different assessments uh, that kind of assess how the patient is doing, uh, standard assessments of various kinds. And one of the questions that's asked is, what's your pain on a scale of one to 10? That's the kind of question you'd see on a form, right? In the doctor's office, here's the clipboard, fill out this form and you're, you know, fill, check the box between one or 10. But uh, not a lot of empathy or not a lot of a human touch in that experience. So when we are designing bots, one of the things we like to do is, is not try to put that kind of stiffness to the experience, right? So another way you can do it is to just say, hey, Christy, how are you doing today? What's your, what's your pain like today? Oh, and you would say, well, I'm not feeling so good. I'm, you know, I had a bad night, right? You'd say something like you would say to a nurse or to a loved one or a caregiver. And they would say, oh, you know, was your pain particularly severe? Yeah. They said, were you able to um, address yourself? No, I couldn't dress myself. Could you raise a glass of water? No. So you draw out a level of their pain by asking them these kind of leading questions. And that's, that's how people talk to each other, right? You don't say, and maybe they, some nurses will say, what's your pain on a scale of one to 10, just to codify it. But you know, a, a family member, a loved one would ask you in a much more empathetic way. And that's the art of designing these bots, right? Absolutely. I was just kind of chuckling to myself when you're asking about the pain scale, because I always 
tell my providers when they ask me about my pain, I'm like, well, which pain scale do you want me to use? The one before I gave birth or the one after I gave birth to three right. children? Because my ability to tolerate pain now is very different than it used to be. So I like the context of asking, you know, clarifying questions to draw out what that context is. And, you know, that's, it's just, it's really powerful. Cause I'm like, what, what's a four for me now would have been a, a seven yeah. or eight before. Yeah. Exactly. And you read, I mean, that's a practical thing. It's not even about empathy in that case. It's like, let's make sure we get the right information, right? <laughs> um, if, if one to 10 is going to be different for everybody, then uh, that's maybe not the best scale to use. And maybe it's better to just do it subjectively or objectively based on evidence. Like, can you lift a glass of water? Can you button your shirt? You know, can you get dressed? Can you walk to the toilet? Don't walk to the toilet if you can't, don't think you can. But um, these are examples of how to, you know, combine empathy with a practical way of extracting the information that's needed. And that's the power of bots, right? It's, it's, you can put these things into a form but um, you know, you don't give the patient the ability to answer in an ad hoc way. The other thing that the beauty of an ad hoc answer is that there's other information that's in there. And, and you and I, we've talked about this and we've talked about it with our, our clients as well, particularly with voice applications. There's information in what somebody says that it's what's called extra semantic, right? It's beyond what just is in the words. Like with a voice application, you can actually analyze the audio and extract uh, what are called biometrics, right? This extra semantic information. Do they sound stressed? Is their voice pinched? Are they speaking slowly? Are they speaking haltingly? And all that becomes evidence. And a, and a good nurse or a good clinician or practitioner will, will listen to that extra semantic information, whether they would say so. They might, they might just say, man, I just talked to that patient. They did not sound good, right? Right. Well, what did they say? Well, they didn't say anything of substance, but they didn't sound good. And that, that's the power of these, uh, another power of these conversational experiences. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm thinking uh, another personal narrative for me is that after those three babies, I've had quite a bit of low back pain. And so I've been actually navigating the delivery system for low back pain, which is a very interesting phenomenon because it could be any number of different specialties that ultimately end up treating you depending on the source of the pain. Is it rheumatic? Is it mechanical? Um, is it psychosomatic? And so for me, I recently had, a, it was a video visit with my primary care provider and there was a conversational interaction before the visit where I provided information on where I'm at, how I'm doing. And then my provider was able to review that before our visit. It was one of the most meaningful, rich conversations that I've had in a long time. She came to the conversation knowing my context um, and we really focused on the areas that she thought needed a deeper conversation and we're able to explore it in such a deeper way than kind of this, you know, very limited transactional uh, conversation that is sometimes in a really rushed provider to patient interaction. And for me, that was powerful because what came out of it was very different than what either of us might have expected going in with the you know limited time face to face limited context or updates on on the on the conversation or my condition at the time and um i walked away with a few very actionable uh things to do you know some things to that i, I should buy a couple of individuals i should see some you know think education that i should read about and that empowerment that can happen because of a meaningful interaction 
because it was an informed conversation is uh it's it, it changes people it changes lives and has a really positive impact yeah and i think that you know, we know that we have a, a ways to go to replicate the empathy and the uh, high touch experience of talking to a, a human clinician or a human nurse, but the power and potential are there. And uh, I think that, you know, as we start to explore where we go next with conversational AI, it's really just moving the needle in that direction. You know, this idea of automation with empathy is an area of ongoing development and research. We have a long way to go. Um, on the spectrum from where we are right now with uh, the bots that are out there or um, the digital front door that can help you schedule appointments or answer basic questions to getting to um, a full-on digital nurse who can provide the kind of support and service that you received when you were going in for your back pain. We have a long ways to go. The technology's there. Designing these experiences and the tools and platform are all there, but actual rollout and implementation just takes time. This industry does move slowly, particularly in this day, still under the um, cloud of a pandemic. The idea of virtualizing healthcare and the role that conversational bots can play in making, uh, making this kind of remote and distanced uh, society we're in work a little bit better you know, it's, it's never been more relevant than it is right now. So it's an exciting time. It's a, it's a frightening time, but it's an exciting time for the possibilities of the technologies that we're talking about here. We're going to wrap up this session. Christy, always a joy. And thank um, you so much. Same, Nate. Really enjoy uh, hearing your stories and, and what inspires our work. Yeah. And we're going to do this again. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time on Conversations with Orbital.